Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. It is so good to have each and every one of you, those who are with us online. Um, hopefully, you will be able to be with us the whole time. Goodness, last week, many of you who came just to the service, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but we had every technical problem that you could possibly imagine last week on our online services, and I was getting all the text messages. Uh, and I know that <laughs> I'm like, I can't, I don't know what to do. I'm up here. Um, and I, I was getting all the text messages. Pastor, we can't hear it. It's gone. Where are you? It's gone. I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. My computer died. So here we are. Hopefully nothing is going on and you guys are with us. You're with us. We're all here. Um, But I will let you know, last week we started a new series and I'm excited for you guys to be in on this. Um, to sit in on it. Uh, the new faces, if you are new with us, my name is Greg McKinney. My wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church. Kate, uh, my wife, is actually not here today. Um, she's driving back with a group of ladies. Uh, she had a little getaway, a little uh, little ladies' time at a, at a cabin that sounds all nice until this particular cabin had like a a pipe that was busted when they got there, the uh, electricity wasn't working, all the things. And so they had to move to another Airbnb close by. It was, you know, it was restful, right, babe? Yeah, she's watching. Uh, she's going to comment. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I was with the kids, and so I'm excited to be here. We have four little ones. Uh, I, they're, they're a lot of fun. But last week was a start of a series. If you heard, uh, we've called it Formed in the Waiting. And there's some water down on the ground. I just kicked it. It's okay. We'll let it just sit. Um, it was called Formed in the Waiting. And it's all over the life of Joseph in scripture. And maybe some of you are like, I didn't grow up in church. I don't really know what, who that is or what that is all about. It's okay. Uh, we are going to be in Genesis chapter 39 to, today. And last week we talked about Genesis chapter 37. And it's really the story of Joseph. And if I can just bring you in on this, why you should hear it is because it's literally a story that we all can be fit in pretty, pretty easily. This is a guy who, who knew that things were changing. He knew that God was doing something. He had a literal dream of it, but yet everything around him was saying the opposite. Literally, his brothers threw him in a pit last week. He, he won the award of having the worst siblings in the world. Like literally, he, he won the award of it. Like 10 older brothers who threw him into a pit. A few of them wanted to kill him. Um, and then the others decided, no, better than killing him, let's sell him to, to some slave traders. Um, and so this is, this is the life of Joseph, and uh, it's a powerful one, because if you were with us last week, the Hebrew word for Joseph means he who increases. He will add on another. It's this idea of God is not yet finished. He's going to do it again. He's going to do it again. And though sold into slavery last week, if you, if you want to listen to that message, maybe you were not present or tried to watch online, it's on the podcast. I, I encourage you to do so because Joseph, that's, that starting story of him being sold into slavery is huge. But if I could say this, though he was sold into slavery, the Lord wasn't finished. And so I just, I don't know where you're at, but though you lost a job, 
Though that relationship didn't turn out, though that endeavor turned out and flopped, though they abandoned you, though that, that you were mistreated, though you have a past, a failure after failure, though whatever, maybe you've been a slave to addictions in the past, though whatever, the Lord isn't finished yet. And that's the spirit of Joseph. He is still adding. He is not done with us. And so this morning, um, I'm excited because we are diving into, like I said, chapter 39. And I don't normally title messages. I'm not that kind of a pastor, typically. Like, I don't like to title my, my sermons and have this splashy title. But I have a title today. And it's not mine, per se. Uh, Dalton, our, our small group and kids director, actually came up with it as we were talking uh, in, as a staff about this series a few weeks ago. And he said this phrase, and I was like, that's going to be week two. That's going to be week two. And it was this, the title of this message, if you want to put this at the top of your notes, it is From Dreams to Dependence. That's literally what chapter 39 is all about. If you know the story, Joseph literally is having to learn in this series, in this uh, season, how to uh, trust the Lord, depend on him in the times of plenty. And goodness, this guy is going to have a lot. And in times of lacking, in times of a good report and in times of false report, in times of being liked by people and in times of being slandered by people, he's going to have to learn how to depend. And dreams started, right? All of this. He had a dream, if you remember last week, literally two dreams of him standing upright and his family, the people around him, bowing down to him. Weird dreams. But he knew it was from the Lord that there would be this time when there was a dependence upon his authority. So the dreams happened, but then he was thrown into a pit. And then he was given to slave traders. And then, if you know the story, how it ended last week, it was sort of this cliffhanger. He was sold from the slave traders to another man named Potiphar. That's all we know from dreams to dependence is where we are today. And some of you who are little Bible theologians, uh, some of you, some of you, you can pat yourself on the back for realizing this. You said, well, Greg, we talked about chapter 37 last week. And now you're saying we're going to talk about chapter 39. You're missing something, Greg. Some of you, if you, if you notice that, you can go ahead and pat yourself on the back. It is, it is true. Because uh, 38, though we will paraphrase it, I want y'all to bear with me. 38's weird. 38 is messed up. 38, if you want to put this in the recess of your mind of reading a drama, uh, what should be like uh, the young and the restless, like that's chapter 38. Like it is, it is, it's messed up. But I am not, though I won't be reading it, I will paraphrase it, but what it does, uh, it sort of puts this pause on the story of Joseph. We have this cliffhanger of Joseph being sold into slavery. Then there's a whole th chapter 38 where his name is not heard at all. It's actually the story of Judah, which is, uh, you know, the, the brother of Joseph, one of his older ones, who would later have the line of David. David would come from his family. More importantly, though, the Messiah would come from Judah. And so there's this little story of Judah. And then chapter 39, it's like we pick back up with Joseph being sold to Potiphar. Chapter 38, though, and Moses knew, the author knew what he was doing. Like, I'm just going to tell you, this stuff's weird. Chapter 38, he knew what he was doing and putting this little aside. Anyone ever watch the TV shows that it's like, meanwhile, and you're like, oh, we're so, what, what just happened? That's what this story is all about. Chapter 38 is put in there as this awkward little insert that then when you read back to Joseph, 
it is this huge contrast between how Judah acted and how Joseph acted. It either does two things. It either makes you think Joseph will act like his brothers, or it already makes you realize how different Joseph was from his brothers. I mean, it's so different. So if you want to do a little game with me right now, you could pull out your phones or your Bibles, put one uh, thumb at chapter 38 and the other at 39. This is the only time I'm going to be talking about 38. Are you ready? It is, if you could ever, like back in uh, Bible college, I would have to do like these uh, compare and contrast essays. Anyone, you remember that? This, you could get a whole lot of meat from this section of the contrasting between these two chapters. In fact, like here's just some fun. These are, this is a little aside. It says in chapter 38 that Judah went down away from his brothers and he met a girl. But if you look at the, chap- the start of chapter 39, it says Joseph was taken down. It's really cool. So Judah went down and Joseph was taken down, but it keeps going. Judah was alone. He left his brothers and was alone. What is like the second thing that you read about Joseph if you look at chapter 39? The Lord was with Joseph. Judah went down, Joseph taken down. Judah was alone. Joseph was with the Lord. And it keeps going. Judah had some actions. I'm not going to get into the, the details of this, but he saw a girl. It's always a girl, right? He saw the girl and he wanted the girl. And so literally the, the wording is pretty direct. He married the girl and he had sex with the girl. And then she had a baby. And the actions that Judah did were to cause, literally, death comes. Because if you read the next sentence, his oldest son, Judah's oldest son, was evil, wicked in the eyes of the Lord. So the man died. Second son, evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the man died. This is Judah's right now. And so we see then Joseph's actions. If you want to skip ahead to 39, what he did didn't bring death. It brought success. Oh, it'll keep going. Judah's work, everything Judah did, it was looked at as evil in the eyes of the Lord. But then we see everything that Joseph is about to do that we read is seen as favored in the eyes of the world, and they see the Lord in it. It's really crazy. Like, we could keep going on and on the differences of this. Judah is full of deception and gets deceived. Joseph is full of integrity and showcases integrity. Like, Judah, he seeks out sexual pleasure with his, what he thinks is a, uh, a prostitute, but really it's his daughter-in-law. Like, guys, this is weird. Like, chapter 38, he goes to his daughter-in-law and thinks it's a, a, a prostitute. Like, it, he seeks out sexual pleasure to actively go against, to go for what isn't his. And then we see Joseph getting <laughs> tempted with sexual pleasure of what he knows isn't his. And one dives into it, the other runs away from it. Literally, it ends, if you know the story, Judah sits in the repercussions of his wicked actions And Joseph will end this chapter sitting in the repercussions of his correct actions. It's really cool, this this difference. But I will tell you the biggest thing that I want you to know before we dive into 39 is that what you depend on will become your God. What you depend on will become your God. And for Judah, he depended on Judah. He depended on that girl to make him happy. He depended on that son to fulfill his duty. He depended on that, then the other son to fulfill his duty. And then it didn't happen. He constantly depended on things that became his God and fell short. But we see Joseph 
constantly depending on the Lord. And in the rightful place, the Lord was his God. Now, I'll tell you real quick, the coolest thing. You want to know the coolest thing about these two stories? And then we're done. All right, this is just me nerding out on you. Are you ready? Coolest thing was, if you look at the timeline of events, chapter 38 takes up 22 years of Judah's life. Chapter 39 only takes up 11 years of Joseph's life. In other words, what I'm saying is, what can God accomplish in half the time when his people depend on him? Like, that's the powerful thing. Like, Judah literally 22 years and he winds up in wickedness still. That's the last time we hear of him until he's bowing down to his brother on the throne. Like, that's, that's the last time we hear of Judah. But Joseph, only 11 years in Potiphar's house, and he did more success. He had more hope. He had more life come through him. What can God do in half the time if we depend on him? Some of you think I'm too old. No, God can do in half the time what the man can do, and it would be even more successful if we depend on him. Some of you think I'm too young. No, God can do in half the time. Some of you are like, I, I, this is ending quickly, or I have to get this done this month. Can I just tell you, the Lord can do in half the time if we just depend on him. And so I'm going to read this. It's, I just want to remind you that little meanwhile happened, but now we're back. We're rewinding to when Joseph was 17. Do you remember when you were 17? Anyone? <sighs> Goodness. I had what would later be called the Bieber haircut. It was not then the Bieber haircut, okay? I'm older than him. So, but looking back on the pictures, that's what you will think. I had the swoopy hair, 17. It was not a good year. But here's the story. Chapter 39, verse 1, it says, Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an official officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had, bought, who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. Now, if I could just tell you, when it says the Lord was with Joseph, that does not just mean that the Lord wasn't with Judah. When I say, when you hear, hey, the Lord is with you, that doesn't mean that he's not with you. Like, that's just how we think sometimes. If my wife was with me, obviously she wouldn't be with you because she's only one person and, and is stuck in her physical body. But when we say the Lord is with you, that doesn't just mean that he's not somewhere else. That word with is really powerful. Anytime it talks about it in scripture, it's this accompaniment, that, that, that the Lord was accompanying Joseph and Joseph was accompanying the Lord. There's this both and with it that when the Lord was with something, it's a marker of association. So though the Lord probably was with Judah, Judah wasn't with the Lord. <laughs> Does that make sense? Judah wasn't associating himself with the Lord. Can I just tell you the Lord is with you? Are you with him? Like the Lord is with you. Are you associating yourself with him? Is there a marker of association on your life? Because that is really the difference between Joseph and Judah. The Lord is with us all, but I'm going to choose to associate with him. There's a marker. We are both in together. And so it continues. Verse three, the master saw that the Lord was with him. The master, this God, this God not fearing man. In fact, Potiphar is literally, it means he worships the sun God. That's what Potiphar means. He has this, this very um, idolatry-minded like name, but he sees the Lord. 
And so the Lord caused all that Joseph did to prosper in his hands. It says, so the Lord found favor in Potiphar's sight and began attending him. He made him the overseer of his house and put Joseph in charge of everything that he had. And from this time on, he made him an overseer in his house and over all that he had. And the Lord blessed Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. And the Lord, the blessing of the Lord was on everything he had in the house and out of the house. And he continues, so he left, Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge. If you haven't got this yet, Potiphar gave Joseph everything. Did you see how many times it said that? It's like, Greg, are you just repeating yourself? No, Potiphar gave Joseph everything. And then it says, and with him there in charge, Potiphar had no concern for anything except the food that he decided to eat. Now, Joseph was handsome and good looking. Oh, (laughs) whenever you read that, it's already eyes up. Like what? uh, He was handsome and good looking. And after the time, after some time, his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. That's pretty direct. Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, with me here, My master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my hands. He is no greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you're his wife. So then how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He continues, it says, and although that she spoke to Joseph day after day, I mean, this woman was relentless. Uh, no matter how many times, we, we just think it was this one-time occurrence. No, it was day after day after day. He would not consent to lie with her or be even with her anymore. I'm not even going to be with you. One day, however, when he went into the house to do his work, it says, while no one else was there, she cut a hold of his garment. And she said, lie with me. And it said, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Yes, this is in the Bible. He left the garment, his clothes, and ran out probably either almost fully naked or there. And he ran out and she had his garment in her hands as he ran. And it continues. It says, when the master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, she said, this is what that Hebrew servant did. Oh, that he was outraged. He was outraged. And it says in this end uh, that he literally put him in prison. It says, when the master heard those words, he was outraged. It says, Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison in a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he remained there. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph. There it is again. And he showed him steadfast love. If you have a printed Bible, you should underline, showed him steadfast love. He showed him steadfast love and he gave him favor inside of the prison. It's literally repeating itself. And whatever was done there, uh, like there was so much success. And it says the chief jailer committed to Joseph's all of his care or all the prisoners were under his care, all under his authority and everything Joseph did, again, success. This is the chief jailer paid no heed to anything because he knew the Lord was with him and whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it prosper. It's this beautiful piece. So I can't just tell you, Joseph was dependent on the Lord. And if you want to write what this literally means, it's, it's this, he knew that God was with him. In other words, the truth that God was with him preceded every action, 
every thought, every plan. It means this way. It means this. When you look in, in front of your day, do you already know that God will be with you? Sometimes we don't. <laughs> do you already know that God's going to be with you? And so if God's going to be with me as I make breakfast, then that thought, that truth is going to come before any action that I do. The idea that God's going to be with me and that, that, that truth is going to come into the forefront of my mind before I make any plan, any thought. That is how we depend on the Lord. If you want to depend on the Lord, let his, the realization that he is present come before your plans, come before your thoughts, come before your actions, the reality that God is here. And when I got into this, I don't know about you guys, but though I know that God is here for me, though I know that he's here for me, can we just be honest? Like, I don't believe it at times, right? Even though we know that God is here with us, I don't believe it at times. In fact, I don't even believe it so much so that I, I, I get blurred and I think that I have to do something in order for the success to be there. And so we get stuck in this idea, this mindset where we doubt. And literally, I wrote clearly, there is a lot of power that comes from the belief that God is with me. But if I would only realize to associate with him in return, Right? And so as we end this morning, or like do the last half, don't worry, it's not done yet. As doing this last half, I really wanted to, to get on this idea of perspective because I believe the enemy works over time in my life to blur my perspective of where God is and where he isn't. Anyone else? Like, I think the enemy works over time. My doubts work over time. My flesh works over time. My lies work over time to get me to doubt God's presence around me, that he's with me. And so like, that's just where I want to be because as our perspective changes, this is just fact, as our perspective changes, our dependency changes. As your perspective begins to change, you start depending on what you then can see, perceive. And if I don't perceive the Lord, if my perspective gets blurred, then I will start depending on whatever I can gravitate to, whatever I can grasp. If you're like me, I will take charge. Anyone else take charge? And as I depend on me taking charge, I'm looking more, a little bit more like Judah than I do Joseph, right? Looking a little bit more like Judah. And so these perspective changes, if you want to write it down, um, I have for us three blurs in perspective. This isn't always the enemy. Some of you need to stop saying it's the enemy. The enemy's doing this. No, it's your flesh. Like, stop. The enemy's doing No, it's you're just believing a lie, and the enemy doesn't have to worry about you anymore because you're believing that lie, and the perspective is, is just going down. Like, we have to realize that my doubts, the enemy, my flesh, all of these, my lusts, all of these things blur my perspective. And so as we get into this, there are three little blurs that you will see Judah being overcome by. You will see uh, Joseph overcoming them and you will see us dealing with them daily. Are you ready for this? Like there's just three of them. The first one that we see is there's a small blur, a small shift in what we label as successful. Like some of you, you want to you take hold of a clear perspective in life? Start calling what is successful in the Lord's eyes, successful. 
Stop calling what your dreams are of success as how the Lord deems it as success. In fact, sometimes I get the wrong definition of what is successful, and then I start calling the right things not good enough. I start calling the right things worthless. I start calling the right things small. Small is successful if the Lord is in the small, right? And so we got to realize that how we define success is one of the leading ways that the Lord can prospect us and blur us because soon Judah's idea of success was that woman being in bed with him. Judah's idea of success was a son that would carry on his lineage. And guess what? That never happened. It never happened. They all just got worse and worse. And I wrote this down when life is out of control. (laughs) It's hard to call anything successful, right? When life is messy, it's hard to call anything successful. When, when life um, is unplanned, when things turn out not what you had designed them or desired, it is hard to deem that as success. But I think the Lord has a different definition in mind. In fact, like, can I just tell you this word is powerful? Because Potiphar saw that even when life was unplanned by Joseph, there was so much success. In fact, Potiphar literally says that the Lord caused all that Joseph did to prosper in his hands. This is what Potiphar, a a non-believer saw, was that the Lord was causing him. Now, I just want to tell you, the Lord wasn't making him prosperous, as in giving him wealth and whatever westernized way we think of prosperity. Joseph wasn't got it, didn't get all this wealth and power and, and, and might, and uh, that's what prosperity was. No, literally what? Because this was long before Potiphar gave him anything. Did you, do you realize this? He saw, Potiphar saw that whatever Joseph touched was prosperous. Not that the Lord was giving him prosperity and then Joseph, then Potiphar was like, oh, I want some of that. No, he saw that whatever Joseph did in his daily tasks were successful. And so then he was like, take more to touch so that it can be successful. You see, he saw, and so I just want to, I, I say that because we got to realize that, that this is very different. The Hebrew word means to cause victory. That's what prosperity means. Literally, when it says the Lord caused prosperity, it's the same thing like the Lord caused victory to happen with whatever Joseph touched was victorious. It's the same thing that's going on in Joshua 1.8. Um, I have it tattooed, Joshua 1, 9, on my arm to be strong and courageous. But right before that, it says this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate it on it day and night and be careful to act in accordance to it with all the things that are written in it, because then your way will be made victorious, be prosperous. And you shall be, it's the same word again, victorious, successful. It's like you will, your way will be made victorious. And so this is what is in. If God was in it, it would be prosperous. And so we see it. Like, here's just a little quick. As a slave, he was prosperous. In the penthouse, he was prosperous. In the fields, he was prosperous. In the prison, he was prosperous. And it's not because all the stuff he had, it's because of how he handled the things he did. Like, it's just, it's powerful. He did what he was assigned to do, where he was assigned to do it, as he was assigned to do it. And so I wrote these three things um, just because I get caught up in this. Success, here's the first one. Success cannot be thought of in comparison to what isn't yet. Like this is the number one thing that I need, some of you get stuck on. 
Some of you say it's not successful because it's not yet good. I'm there. Like I, I don't want us to always be in the Loretto. I don't want for there to always be empty seats. I would love success in my mind sometimes would be us having to get really excited and leave our chair so that someone else could sit there because we're out of chairs. Like, and sometimes my mind can label that as success, but that's not success, right? That's not success. Success cannot be compared to what isn't yet. And Joseph had to realize this obviously like is not what I dreamed the prison, but I'm successful. And it's not because what isn't yet isn't here. It's because what I'm doing right now, another one is success cannot be compared to what was then, to what was then. Success cannot be what was yesterday applied onto today and you get angry because it's not the same. No, that's not success. In fact, I do this every Sunday. Did you know I preached this message at uh, five o'clock this morning? Some of you are like, you're crazy. I know I am, I know. But I like, to, I like to feel, yeah, that's crazy. I like to feel the way that the words leave my mouth. You can call me weird, but I do it at five o'clock every Sunday. It's just like my time to be with the Lord. And I just, I, I literally speak in my living room, this whole thing. Sometimes I like to, to call success in comparison to how I did it this morning. If I did it better today than I did this morning, then it's success. But that's a lie, right? Because then when I fail or when I stumble, it's not successful because it was better this morning and I'm comparing it to what it was. No, can I just tell you success can only be thought of in comparison to what God is in. Can you put that up? Because success can only be compared to what God is in now. What he's in now. If he's in it, it'll be successful. If it's not yet, but he's in it, it's successful. If it's not as good as it was yesterday, but he's in it, it's successful. If it's not as you thought it was, but he's in it, it's successful. If you have to work and you're tired like Gabby, like you remember when you said, she's, of course she remembers it, but y'all remember when she said she did dishes and she was like, why am I doing these dishes? And I'm just wish my brother would do his dishes. And, and she's just, but the Lord told me to do the dishes. If he's in it, it's successful. And so it's not in the not yet. It's not in, in the, the how it was. If God is in it, it's successful. And some of you, you will never, well, I didn't write this. Some of you, you will never find true success because you keep wanting to do things that God isn't in. And God isn't even in you yet. And so you just keep, you keep thinking, if I associate with the people that God is in, I'll have success. But you realize every time you go away from them that you keep getting hit with the same things. And God is like, because I'm not in you. And so you just need to realize like God is, he gives success to the things he's in. Victory, in other words, victory. Not prosperity in the worldly sense, no, victory. And some of you, you keep trying to do other things, but I'll just wait because it's going to get there. Uh, <laughs> woo. In doing the things that Joseph knew he was supposed to do, there was success. There was a, I latched onto this phrase when I was in college and it was this, we must do the thing we do before what we may. And you're like, what? I heard it. I I remember sitting on the pew in the chapel of JBU college. And it just said, we must do the thing that we do before what we may. In other words, 
It's when I do what I'm called to do today and find the Lord in it and success through it that I'm grown into what I may do tomorrow. You keep wanting what you may do tomorrow, but you're called to do what just the thing that we do now before what we may. That's success. And this is literally the story of Joseph. He set in the, as a slave when he was a slave. Then he became a, the officer and he was an officer. Then he was an overseer and then he was an overseer. And then he was an inmate and he set as being an inmate in success. And none of that was what was May. What was May was his dream of being upright and his brothers down. Like that's what was May. And it was not yet. But success is found when we do what we, the thing we do before what we may. I wrote this. Some of you need to realize the Lord does not exist outside of the ordinary tasks. He's in them. And when we see him in them, success comes through them, victory through them. And then we're made to be the people that step into the roles that we may do later. And so that's the first one. <laughs> that was longer than I planned, so I'm sorry. Second lure, second blur. Is this, <laughs> this is going to hit you some. Uh, it's this steady lure to long for or to have what is outside of our assignment. You want to talk about when you no longer see God with you? It's because you start longing for what isn't yours. This is literally what Judah constantly did. It's outside of his assignment. Another way we could say it's outside of his authority. It was outside of his responsibility. It was outside of his favor. And so I'll tell you, the, the enemy will long to blur your perspective of God when you start longing for what is not yours. We start longing for what is outside of your assignment. No, stick with what your assignment is right now, right now. You see Potiphar's wife will come and Joseph responds so well, you're not mine, right? He literally says, everything in this house is mine. You're not mine. I can't sin against the Lord. And so some of you need to have this phrase and some of you need to say it constantly. That's not mine. I hear that you want to put that on me to do this responsibility, but that's not mine. I'm sorry. I'm going to say, no, that's not mine. I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to want it. Some of you, 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 you need to go to apps and delete them because they're not yours. That's not mine. That is outside of my favor. That is outside of my assignment. I am assigned to be the husband that, that will be honorable. That's not mine. Some of you need to delete some things in your life because it's not yours. It's outside of your authority. It's outside of your responsibility. Some of you need to stop doing tasks at work because they're more about you getting worldly success and it's not your assignment. That's not mine. That's not mine. And the best part is... <laughs> You're taking what is someone else's too. That is theirs. That, that wife was Potiphar's. That's not mine. That's his. He needs to step up, yes, and meet your emotional needs. Your emotional needs are not mine. They're not mine. I'm not going to be present with you anymore. That's not mine. And so I'll just tell you the moments that we begin to long or lust or desire outside, there's two main moments. Uh, one is uh, we, when life feels out of our control, we begin to long for what isn't ours. Judah, life got out of control constantly in that chapter. Just underline it, highlight it next time of all the moments when it is very apparent that life is outside of Judah's control. What he starts doing is saying, that's mine, that's mine, oh, that's mine, that could be mine. And then it's outside of his assignment. So when thing is out of your control, that's a 
key reminder that um, there might be things that the enemy is wanting me to take hold of right now. When I just need to say that's not mine. Another one is when we are alone. It's when, uh, one, when things feel out of our control, and the other is when we're out on our own. And there are many places when you're alone. I mean, Joseph was alone. That's the time when Potiphar's wife thought she had him. He keeps saying no to me. Well, now no one's in the house, and he's coming in the house. He's all alone. Now I can get him because he's alone. These key times, you got to realize that the enemy will always say, hey, but this looks nice. That's not mine. That's not mine. Because even when you're alone, that's still not yours. Even when no one else can see that it's not yours, you know it's not yours. Because why? Because the Lord is with you. And that's, that's outside of your assignment. Like, I just like that word. That's not my assignment. Like, what if we just started saying no to sin? Because we're like, hmm, that drink's not my assignment. That thing's not my assignment. So that's, that's not my assignment. I got an assignment, but that job isn't my assignment. That girl isn't my assignment. That boy isn't my assignment. That, that thing, though I liked it yesterday, it's not my assignment. It's not mine. It's not mine. I wrote, uh, this is a big difference between self-control and uh, flesh control. And this just to, to show you the difference, Judah exercised a lot of flesh control. He wanted to have, have, have. If you ever notice, like when you want to control your belly, what do you do? You feed it, right? And that's in our mindset. It's a bad place to be. But whenever we want to control kids, what do we do sometimes? Here's some candy. If you do it, I will feed you. I will feed, I will satisfy you in one way if you just do what I'm saying. We have this idea sometimes that if we feed it, we will control it. That's a flesh control. No, I don't feed my desires in order to control it. Do you know what self-control does? Right here, self-control is the person who's not trying to control their flesh. They're actually submitting their flesh. I'm not going to feed my desire. I'm going to submit it to the Lord. I'm not going to feed my desire. I'm going to submit it to the Lord. That's not mine. So I'm not going to feed it. I'm not going to feed it. I'm going to submit it. Some of you need to start submitting things. But then again, you don't call him Lord. And so who would you submit it to? So if it's outside of your authority, you're not doing it. If it's inside your authority, flourish in it. Some of you, like, can I just tell you, it is in your authority to bring your non-believer friends here, yet you're not doing it because you keep wanting the things that are outside of your authority. But what is in your authority is to save the lost and actually heal the lost, actually see redemption to the lost. That's in your authority. There's some power in that. But we keep wanting what's not ours. The last one, if I could just end it with you, uh, band, you guys can make your way up. The last way that uh, our perspective gets blurred is when a sudden change of situation happens, a sudden change of condition, a sudden change of livelihood. And if I could just say, like, I, I'm lo- I know it's always hard right now. People are moving and we're like ADD going on. But what this means is when a sudden change happens in your home, my mom dies, when that happens, 
when a death occurs, when a loss, some of you, you were evicted as a child and you experienced a sudden change of livelihood. Others of you, you saw a divorce or you went through a divorce. When a sudden change happens in your situation, in your condition, when, when they left, when that job failed, when that bill came in and it was, a, it was so much higher, when the diagnosis happened, are y'all tracking with me? All of these sudden changes happen a lot. The Lord works in them, but the enemy likes to use them to blur perspective. He likes to use them to blur perspective. And poor, poor Joseph, many changes happened, sudden changes from being loved by his dad to given a coat to being taken the coat off of him, thrown into a pit, another sudden change of livelihood, to then sold to slaves, to then sold again to a rich man, to then serving the rich man, to then being loved by the rich man, to then being loved by the rich man's wife, and then chased after the rich man by the rich man's wife, and then gets thrown into prison. All of this happens, sudden changes, and we could see this constant blur that could happen in Joseph, but he doesn't. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And I'll just tell you right now, uh, the place does not determine the prosperity. And I just want you to sit, sit that in. The place. I never thought of being a single parent, maybe some of you said. Well, the place that you're in doesn't determine the prosperity. The title that you currently have right now doesn't determine the prosperity. The gel cell that he was found in did not determine, it didn't limit, nor did it grow his victory. The place doesn't determine the prosperity, no matter what change in livelihood, no matter what change in condition, that doesn't determine. What determines it, right, is if the Lord is in it. If the Lord is in it. Can I just tell you what you're living in right now does not determine the prosperity the Lord in it is the one that determines the prosperity. Go to the Lord, go to the Lord. In fact, the most beautiful thing, if I can end with this, it says when he was thrown in prison, we read that the Lord was with Joseph. And you remember I told you to underline this, showed him steadfast love. This is beautiful. The first time it was the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success. Now is this time where it says, showed him steadfast love. This word showed means covered. It's like wings of an eagle outstretched and protecting. It's this image when someone shows, it's the same word as being covered by something, enveloped in something. It's this beautiful thing where, where we saw when Joseph was in the house of Potiphar, the Lord was with him and everything his hands did was successful. But now there's just sometimes when a condition happens and it just sucked. It was not what you planned. It was not how you wanted. And the Lord was with Joseph, but it's more this time. The Lord was covering him with love. I'm just praying this morning as I prepped this, that you would realize that some of you are in a pit, a prison, a hard place, a hardship, a result of a wickedness. Maybe you did or someone did to you. And if you would open your, up your eyes to see that the Lord is with you, you would start realizing his arms are covering you. There is steadfast love in this place. 
And so for some of you, if you would just reclaim what is successful, you would start seeing his arms around you. If you would just start saying, this is mine and that's not mine, you would start seeing his covering around you. If you would start reclaiming what is his, what he is in and what he isn't in. And so God, right now in this place, I pray that like a covering, like a sheet draped over a bed, covering it, keeping it fresh, right? Keeping it ready for the next day, like a sheet covering. Lord, your steadfast love is securing us. Goodness, in that prison, you were more confining. Your love was more confining than those prison bars. Can we just realize that, that in our place that we're in right now, you are closer than the situation is and your love is covering it. You are closer than that diagnosis. You are closer than that issue. You are closer than that heartache. You are here and your love is covering. So God, let me reclaim what is successful. For if you're in it, I'm having victory. For if you're in it, there is victory. God, I pray in this place that blind eyes would be opened to seeing your victory. God, I pray in this place the strongholds would be broken and showcase your victory. God, I pray in this place that needs would be submitted to you and experience your victory. God, I pray in this place that our assignment would be solidified in you and we would see your victory. And we would see your victory. In your name. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.